Now let's turn to the Word of God. We're concluding our series on Jesus as a stumbling block and the cornerstone as we look at the amazing mystery and the wondrous thought that Jesus is the eternal Son of God become human being. Uh, it's something that can cause people to stumble because it's, it's something that is way outside of our ordinary life. It may not be something that people would consider. Indeed, it's probably not something that they would consider unless God had revealed it to us. And so it could cause many to stumble. But at the same time, it's a foundation for our lives if we'll accept it. And probably no passage reflects that more clearly than what we, what we see in John chapter 6 verses uh, 51 through 71. And so I want us to read that, and we'll consider uh, the words that give life to the world from John chapter 6. So John chapter 6, beginning of verse 51. Jesus was saying, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. This is God's holy word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you praise, O Lord, that you have given us the words of life. And now we pray, O Lord, that by your spirit you would make them live for us. And so bring us closer to you, our Father, through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Bless each person who's gathered here. Bless each person who's listening online. Bless all those who cannot be here today. We pray, O Lord, that you would be with them as well, many who are traveling We pray that you would bring them back safely to us. Thank you for those who are traveling here. We pray that they might experience a time of great blessing as they enjoy this beautiful place in the world. And we thank you, O Lord, that we have the privilege of living here and serving here. We pray that you would use this word to strengthen us for our service to you. 
for the good of all in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you made some uh, New Year's resolutions yet? Hope so. Hope one of them was not uh, don't eat donuts this year because we have some donuts on the back table for our fellowship time with some coffee. Um, But, you know, we make resolutions, and I, I think resolutions are a great idea. Um, you know, we've got a whole year ahead of us. It's good not to just take it by accident, just see what happens, but instead to be deliberate, to say, hey, what, what do I want to make of this year? Now, we can't control all of that. We can't sh- do everything that we want to do, but we are made in the image of God. God is, thinks through what he wants to do, and he creates, and so we, in his image, think through what we want to do, and we try to create. We try to make things happen. And, and so... You know, we can do this in a variety of ways, making different goals, resol- resolution, however you want to do it. Um, sometimes mine are more general. Sometimes mine are more specific. Um, there's a lot, of, a lot of approaches you can make. But when you think about, you know, what are the types of things that we want to make uh, resolutions or goals about? Uh, some are about relationships. We want to get closer to certain people. Some are about uh, work, th- doing good work in the world, not just our career, but being able to serve with strength. And so we, we might have physical things. We might want to develop new abilities. We want to, might want to gather more resources to be able to serve more. Um, or we might say even just enjoying things like taking a vacation, you know, uh, spending more time with the people we love or with friends and whatever the case may be. But I think one of the most important resolutions that we should make is to connect with the God who has created us. And the question is, when we think about God... How are we going to connect with an infinite being? A being that is so far beyond us that we can't even begin to imagine it. Now, we can have some contemplation of him as we go outside. We see the stars and the world that he has made, especially in a beautiful place like Tennessee. You know, we we see the wonder of what God has made, and we can think about him. But how do we connect with God? How can we really connect with him? And, you know, people have different ideas on this. But what if God was to, say, become or take upon himself a human nature so that he became one of us, a human, and in order to connect with us. That would definitely change the whole way we thought about connecting with God. And that's what the message of Christmas is, is that when we couldn't come to God, God came to us. And to the degree that he took upon himself a human nature to be one of us and so to connect with us. But still, we might ask, well, what does that mean? Obviously, Jesus in his human nature is not physically present today. He's not, he's not sitting out here in the congregation physically. So how do we connect with him? Well, that's what this passage teaches us using a rather surprising metaphor, uh, which I'll talk about what that means in a minute, in order to say, here's how you connect with me. And so that's what we want to look at today. So if Jesus, if God was going to become a human being, how would he connect with us? How would he let us know that he is the very God of the universe? Well, one thing is, we'd want him to say that he is. And of course, that's precisely what Jesus said. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what Jesus says. That he is the one who came from the Father to reveal the Father. And he had been there from the beginning and he will be there forever. But he came as a human. And that is a hard thing to grasp, right? 
And many people didn't believe it. But, so how would he show that this is what he's really saying? And I mean, anybody could say, I'm, I'm the eternal son of God, but most, most of the time, we're not going to believe that, right? <laughs> so what did Jesus do? Well, he did amazing things. He, he, showed, he did the works of the Father. He created things new. He took the fish and the, and, the, and the bread, and he fed thousands of people. He made someone blind from birth, able to see. He raised the dead. He did all sorts of things that showed that he was what he said he was, which is the eternal Son of God, so that people might believe in him. But the amazing thing is that in spite of that, people didn't actually believe that they saw this stuff and they, they could be completely hard-hearted. They saw a man who had, in, in John chapter 9, you go see, there was a man who couldn't see from birth. He, he, Jesus made him able to see, and all they could think about is, is that Jesus had done something wrong on the Sabbath, and that Jesus was one who uh, had broken some regulation. Of course, it wasn't the true regulation of God, but it was their own made-up one. And, and this is a... This is how we are. It doesn't, sometimes we think if we just get enough evidence, we'll be able to see. But, you know, there, he, the human heart can invent ways to turn every bit of evidence in the direction that they want to. And so we need to be aware about that. It's not just people out there. It's people in here, too. And so we need to be humble in our approach to reality and be ready to, be, to hear what it is saying to us and what God is saying to us. So... One of the ways that, so how does Jesus awake them from their stupor and get them to really think about what he's doing? Well, he does it by, by, by saying some rather shocking things that are kind of designed to slap them in the face and say, hey, think about this. And so he says to them, if you want to have life, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And, you know, it's easy for us just to pass over this here, but because we've heard it before. And even like I was thinking about it, the song that we're singing earlier, um, what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's a precious fountain that cleanses away my sin. I mean, step back and say, look, hey, what if I had never heard anything about Christianity? That would seem really, really weird. That is like gross even. We're going to pour out blood to clean me up, right? That's what we just sang about. That's what y'all were singing. Jesus goes, takes it even a step further. He says, now you got to eat that. So this is a shocking metaphor. Now, what is a metaphor? A metaphor is, is something that is not literal. It's not exactly as it sounds, but it's similar. So for example, we say life is a highway. We don't mean literally that life is an interstate, that that is actual life, but we say life is like a highway because it's a journey. Or we can say, um, if someone gets up early, she's an early bird. And we say that we don't mean that that person is literally turned into a bird. We mean that they're like a bird and that the bird gets up early in order to find its food. So that's what we're talking about a metaphor. And Jesus is using a metaphor here. He's saying, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. But it's a really shocking one. It's, it's in your face. And again, 
Just think about it. What if someone said that to you? Hey, if you want to have life, if you want to live a good life, you know what you need to do? You need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Now, even if it was a metaphor, it's still like so weird. And that's why the people responded to it, as we see in verse 52, and said, the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So in the church, sometimes we have to kind of like bring us back to these things because, you know, one thing I found in the church is we get used to just hearing the same things and we can't even hear what the Bible's saying. So, you know, um, we, we hear a passage of scripture and it says things a little bit differently than we might be used to. And, um, and so we say, you know, for example, the son of man came into this world to serve. And so you say, why did the Son of Man come into the world? What, they go right to what's at the end, which is to give his life as a ransom for many. But then they miss that it says that he serves. So why the Jesus come into the world? One answer is to serve. There's many different answers, many reasons. But to serve, and we can even miss that, and then it doesn't shape our thoughts. So sometimes we have to say things that are kind of extreme to help bring us back. That's what I'm trying to do this morning, is like saying... Hey, step out of what you've heard and listen to what Jesus is saying to think about it a little bit more deeply and try to also see it from the perspective of those who might not be familiar with it. So, because this one was, this was a way of getting their attention. And it turns out even some of his students, that's another way of saying disciples, uh, probably really hadn't grasped who Jesus was. And when they heard him say this, they actually turned and went away. So Jesus is giving the sermon, the result is that everybody leaves. It's really an amazing thing. So why did Jesus say this? What did he mean? What is he trying to teach us? Why is he using such a graphic metaphor that is obviously going to be a stumbling block? Well, what it means is that Jesus is going to give his body for the life of the world. He is going to give his body as a life for the world. Look at verse 51. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So when he said that, he was saying, how is he going to give it? Well, he was actually going to die. And that is how his death would be a death for the life that the world might live. That is, that is the idea. How do we know that God is with us when we are going through difficult things. Um, about once a week, I try to get out and drive Uber. So I do this uh, sometimes to make a little extra money if I need it. Um, you, and, but mostly I do it because it's fun. And I like getting out and being able to meet new people, and I've found it's a, a great way to serve people, and I've had amazing and interesting opportunities through it. And it's also amazing like how people will talk to you. I mean... They don't know you, but uh, so, so for example, one woman got in the car and, and she, she was obviously struggling with something. And I just said, you know, hey, how's it going today? And she said, ah, not very good. And I said, well, I'm here if you want to talk about it. And she proceeded to tell me exactly what was going on. And then she kept going. And her life had been like a string of just defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. And... The thing about the, the Uber ride, of course, it comes to an end. I couldn't just stop there and say, well, hey, let's just keep talking. Um, you know, she had her family that she was meeting and so on. Um, 
so, you know, I thought about it afterwards, and it's like, it's a good reflection. Is you know, someone like that where it's like defeat after defeat after defeat after defeat. How do you say to them, hey, God is with you? It's going to ring hollow, <laughs> you know? It's not like, hey, God works all things out for good. You know, I, I don't think she'd be able to hear that. And I thought, what would she be able to hear? Well, I think, as I thought about this passage, I was thinking about um, how does God show us that he's with us in suffering? Well, he came into this world, and he experienced, you know, from a human standpoint, defeat after defeat after defeat, rejection, 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 torture, death, to enter into, like, the very hardest things that we experienced. And so that we may not be able to give all the answers to that, but one thing we know is that God is not somewhere off in there who can't experience what we're experiencing in terms of the sufferings and defeats of this world. He is with us. And that's what it means. Jesus has given his, his body to enter into this world. He's experienced that death. But he's also done it to give us life. And, and it means that he has given us life because he didn't end up dead. He ended up rising from the dead. And so it means there's also hope. There's also life that is in the future. And so it's like, it's a beautiful thing that Jesus presents to us. I'm with you in the midst of your suffering, but your suffering does not have to be the final end of the story. There's resurrection. There's life. And that's what Jesus is saying to them is like, that life is in connection with me. He says he gives his flesh and blood because it's the source of life. What he does in his body and blood as we connect with it, as we feed on it, makes us live. That's that's what he says in verse 57. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. And so it means that he gives his life for the world. It means that his flesh and blood give us life, but it also means that we have an intimate connection with God himself. Is God distant? What if God says, I give you my very flesh and blood to eat to become a part of you? Now, again, we're going to talk about this a little bit more. It sounds very strange. But it also says, I'm really connecting with you. You can't think of a metaphor that says, I become part of you any more than that. He says in verse 56, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. So, the obvious question then is, how do we actually feed on Christ? Well, not literally. It's, this is a mistake that some Christians make, but it's an, and it's an understandable one. Jesus says, you know, when he presents the Lord's Supper, that he says, this is my body. And so some people think that we're literally eating and drinking the body of Christ. But I don't think that's the right way to understand those words because he also says this cup is the new covenant in the next point. And it doesn't mean that the cup that's right over there is literally the new covenant. It means that it's a representation. It's something that seals it. Just like I might say, here's, here's my marriage because this represents the marriage that I have with my wife. And what I do with this ring tells, me, tells you something about what I feel about the marriage, right? And so it is with the, the Lord's Supper. It's a representation, but it's really connected. And what we do with the Lord's Supper shows us something of what we believe about and what we do with Christ. 
And so it's not literal, but rather it's through his words that we feed on Jesus. And he goes on to explain to them because he's talking to his disciples and they were actually grumbling about this. They're complaining. What is this thing he's saying? And Jesus says, does this offend you? Then what if you see this son of man ascend to where he was before? The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the spirit and life. So how do we feed on Jesus? We feed on him through his words. His words are the source of eternal life. How do we connect with Christ? Even though he's not physically present, we take up his words and we believe them and receive them and accept them and meditate on them and chew on them, again, a metaphor, for, and it, so that we can take them deeply into our hearts and souls and through that, God changes us and transforms us and applies to us all that Christ is and his benefits. This is what it means to eat the bread of life. As Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And we eat that bread, how? By accepting the word into our hearts, by believing it, by receiving it. And in that way, we feed on Christ. And so, what we need to do then is to accept this metaphor. We need to take it and we need to believe it. We need to say, yes, this is something for me. And if we do that, we can feed on Christ. And you can see that that's what Jesus' apostles did, at least 11 of the 12. When Jesus saw that many went away, he turned to the 12 and he said, do you also want to leave? And Peter said, nope, we don't. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And in that way, they were feeding on Christ. Not literally, not physically, but spiritually by taking in his words and accepting them as true. And that's what we can do too. But we know that not everybody does that. There are many people who do not believe. This passage is filled with people who do not believe. There are the, his, the general crowd and the leaders of his day who were offended at what he said. But there were also many of his disciples, the people that gathered with him in, you might say, the, the visible church that had gathered around Jesus. They also went away. And even one of his own closest companions, he had 12, and then one of them, he said, is a devil, Judas Iscariot, an, an opponent of him. And so Jesus was, was saying this in a way that offended many people, and they didn't want to follow him. And we need to recognize that two things. One is that when we talk about Jesus, it's going to be an offense to people. It's going to be an offense to people. And people are, people are going to have a hard time accepting it, and even we ourselves will have a hard time with it at times. It's a sort of thing that challenges us and calls us out from where we are to, to embrace reality as it is, which is different than what we thought. So it's going to be an offense. But one of the things that we should do is that we should also try to minimize other offenses. We've got such an offensive thing, the cross, that we should be careful that we're not offending in other ways that we're not overbearing, that, we, that we're not 
angry people, that we show kindness, that we show hospitality. I like what Andy Stanley said in his book, Deep and Wide. As a preacher, it's my responsibility to offend people with the gospel. That's one reason we work so hard not to offend them in the parking lot, the hallway, at check-in, or in the early portions of our service. We want people to come back the following week for another round of offending. (laughs) And I think that's the right sense. But at the same time, when we see that people are offended, we should not be discouraged. Was Jesus discouraged by this? No doubt there's a part of his heart that, was, that felt pain when he saw people turn away and reject that which could give them life. But at the same time, he had, a bigger, he had his heart on the bitter, bigger picture as well. What he says is in verse um, 64, he says, Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And he went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. And so we can look at this in a couple different ways. We can see it as, well, you know, we just hope, we know that those who believe will come, and so, you know, we just hope that some of them are out there. But another way to look at it is, is a, there's a different perspective, I think, too, is to say, you know, when we go out there to proclaim the gospel and to tell people about Jesus, it's not just up to us. It's really primarily up to the Father. And the Father is working, And so when we see people say things against the gospel, when we see people raise hard questions about Christianity or say things that might offend us, we can step back and say, hey, we're okay. We can engage these people without anxiety because we know this is ultimately the work of the Father. And we can say, hey, he's working. He's working there, he's working there, he's working there. When we engage with people about God, We're not the person starting that. God's been doing that all their lives. He is at work. And so we need to recognize we have a subordinate place, but we have a real and significant place. And so we have the privilege of entering into the work that the Father's already doing, and that through that, we're going to see amazing things take place. And so we should not be discouraged when others don't believe, but encouraged because God is doing bigger things and giving us an opportunity to be a part of it. And so, let me just conclude by giving you some takeaways as, as far as making this concrete as to how, then, you can connect with God in the coming year. So first, take up the word to feed on Christ. Take up the word to feed on Christ. So, this means we have to actually pick it up or open the app on our smartphone or however you read the Bible Um, and you have to actually do it. So to feed on Christ, we need to go to his word, which is the Bible. So we need to take that up. Again, this is the first day of the year. We have an opportunity to connect with Christ, and that's one reason you're here. But don't let this be the end of it. Keep doing it throughout the week. Find some way, some plan, some program that will kind of help you to do that. Don't make it, don't make it, turn it into an idol, don't, don't make, base your justification upon it. But recognize if you fail, you don't read the Bible one day, it's okay, go to the next day. God still loves you. But you have the opportunity to feed on Christ. And so, but we, we as humans need that opportunity. We need sort of a plan to kind of help us, a pattern that generally does it. Maybe some of you don't, but I think most of you probably do. So let me encourage you to do that. 
Secondly, trust the word to feed on Christ. It's not just reading it barely and and getting the words into our mind. We have to take them into our hearts. We have to say yes to them. We have to embrace them. So when we hear it, we need to take it into our hearts. That we're saying, that's like inwardly saying, yes, I believe this. I need this. I, I, I can use this here and here and here. This, how does this make a difference in my life? How would I view the world differently if I believed that God was really in control? Or how would I view the ex- rejection that I experienced from other people if I knew I was really accepted by Jesus? That's what it means to trust in the word. And that's how we feed on Christ. But then thirdly, share the word to feed on Christ. It's it, one way that we, we understand the word better is that we learn to, to share it with other people and that we bring it to our hearts and we say, I'm going to articulate this in a way that is actually understandable to people. And so one way you can do that is you can think about how would I share this passage and tell people you know, what I've learned today? Another way is to think about maybe conversations like you had, like I did with that woman in the Uber. Where I, did, I didn't get to share the gospel through her, but I thought about, I've got lots of conversations like that. What would I say to a person like that? So maybe next time I can say something succinct and clear that will be helpful. That is how we feed on Christ. And as we do it, that's going to take that word into us and we're going to enjoy it and it's going to be life-giving for us. The amazing thing to remember is that Jesus is telling us here that we have access to the God of the universe through Jesus communicated through his word. That we don't have to go to the ends of the earth to find it. We don't have to go to the depths of the sea. We don't have to travel to other planets. We don't have to go to the moon. It's right here. And God has come near to us so that he might connect with us and give us life and hope and blessing that will be our nourishment and help for all this year and indeed for all eternity. Amen.